The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome. Um, my name is Kyoko Katayama, and I'm one of the guest teachers while Mark is away. So this evening I want to tell a healing story, maybe healing stories. You're hearing okay? This You can hear way in the back. Um, and I'm going to share um, something that um, I feel kind of vulnerable. So I want you all to cover my back. Yeah? Thank you. Okay. Um, a few months ago, along with a few dozen um, common ground teachers and leaders, I participated in Mindfulness of Race. It was a three-day-long workshop with Ruth King. Anybody know Ruth King? Very few. Okay. So Ruth King is a, a well-respected insight meditation teacher, life coach, consultant, used to be corporate consultant, and she's also an author. The training was very intense and transformative, and I wanted to continue to taste its flavor and really digest it and integrate it my learning into my daily life. So, you know, they always have the books for sale um, by the presenter. So at the end of the workshop, of the training, I bought a book by her. And without my glasses, the book title was Healing Race. Perfect, I thought. I could really use a book to remember many of the points that she made in the training. When I got home, putting on my glasses, reading glasses, I eagerly took the book out of my bag, and that's when I discovered that the title of the book is Healing Rage. (laughs) I mixed up the G of rage with the C of race. Well, I was really disappointed. I thought, I don't have rage issues. Um... That needs healing. But Ruth King was a great teacher. And I was curious what she had to say about rage. So I began reading it. In the introduction of the book, Ruth King writes about how disconnected she was from her emotional pain, the accumulated suffering from the childhood of abuse and neglect. She grew up near... Watts area of Los Angeles. And so for Ruth, rage was the only safe emotion to feel. Out of her indignation, she wanted to and needed to master her life. So she was determined to become a corporate consultant. So in her words, she'd have the privilege of pointing out to people in authority how wrong they were, and she would be finally right. 
Well, in the prime of her success as a corporate consultant, one day she had to have an open-heart surgery to mend a broken valve in her heart. And finally, she had no choice but to surrender to, to the care by the healthcare professionals and her community. The surgery and the haunting stillness of her recovery made her in touch with her vulnerability. She remembered the war zone, that's her word, the war zone of her childhood. And so she used the opportunity to examine her incessant indignation and and rage that protected her from getting too close to the raw pain. She discovered that her rage was really about a heart sickness and not just that of her own, but the heart sickness of the world. It's really both. The open heart surgery transformed into wide open heart. With the clarity and compassion she gleamed, she felt then she was called to help heal the rage, heal the heart sickness individually and collectively. By the way, she actually did write a book on healing race, um, but it didn't come out until last month. And the title is not Healing Rage. It's called Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from Inside Out. Ruth King, highly recommend it. So through mindfulness practice, deep inquiry, and redemptive actions, she understood how the mind gets imprisoned and what it takes to release it. She tasted freedom an unbound love. In the introduction of Healing Rage, that book, she writes, My journey revealed that rage deserved my attention and respect. That rage deserved my attention and respect. And that I could not be fully emancipated until I healed my relationship with my parents. It wasn't enough to know I had suffered. I needed to return to that suffering, face it head-on with love before I could move forward and genuinely connect, connect with other people and life itself. The first step in healing is to name our suffering. Only then we can face it head-on. Until we, we fully acknowledge our suffering, healing cannot begin. This is really easily said than done because each of us has developed a system of defenses and avoidance habits to not face the pain we experience. We are afraid that we might be overwhelmed, feel ashamed, or too vulnerable. But this is the Buddha's teaching. What's the first noble truth? Yes, it's the first noble truth. Life involves suffering in obvious and subtle forms. And we would remain ignorant and confused until we see our suffering in its specific way it manifests in our life. 
in the face of our culture's strong resistance to name our suffering, it's really tempting to bypass it. We are in the habit to rationalize it, to be distracted from it, or to make it about something or someone else. Have you noticed how the thinking mind is really good at that? So our practice is to lean into a suffering without getting lost in its story. We have to bear witness to our pain before we can make any redemptive actions. Using meditation to skip over this step for the sake of peace is called spiritual bypassing. It does not lead to true liberation and love. In the process of turning away from the suffering that is there, we disown a part of us. We need all of our parts to awaken. We need all of our parts to awaken. It's the body that's always in the present moment. The body knows when we are in pain. It will tell you what it needs, what it needs to begin the healing. But we must listen to it with sincerity. We need to slow down, slow way down, step back, and give space for the experience of suffering to be there as it is. And in my experience, when I do that, it shifts on its own. So make space around it to hold it with care. Rebecca Solnit, an author, writes, Pain serves a purpose. Without it, you are in danger. What you cannot feel, you cannot take care of. Each moment of our suffering whether subtle or intense and obvious, is an invitation. It is an invitation to awaken to understanding its nature and the nature of mind and the heart. By leaning into it, as Ruth writes, with respect and attention, the heart is released and healing begins to happen on its own. And this movement of the heart is trustworthy. You get to trust it. Do you think healing is necessary for liberation? Healing removes the obstacles, peels off these false narratives that do not reflect our truth. Rachel Naomi Raymond, author and teacher of alternative medicine, said, Healing may not be so much about getting better as about letting go of everything that isn't you. All of the expectations, all of the beliefs, and becoming who you are. Ruth King saw that her individual heart sickness and that of the world were intrinsically connected. The dehumanization of the people of the color, people of the color because of their skin, physical ability, 
last or agenda status is, is the heart sickness of the world. And her heart sickness was bound to it, and she saw it clearly. For those of us marginalized, this realization lightens the burden of our pain. We begin to see that our pain is the pain of the world, albeit often unacknowledged. So Ruth King came to understand the meaning of a quote often attributed to Nelson Mandela. It goes like this. When we can sit in the face of insanity or dislike and be free from the need to make it different, then we are free. comes from a man who spent 26, 28 years imprisoned. Rhonda McGee, a law professor and mindfulness teacher, said, at the core of racial suffering is denial about our belonging, that is, our kinship and our membership in each other's lives. The separation inherent in the entrenched patterns of racial suffering is not just a division of the races. The consciousness or unconsciousness that supports racial suffering cuts people out of our hearts, then has us try to live as if cutting does not hurt. We have come to accept this dismemberment as normal and move about our lives in search of spiritual freedom and contentment. As if we are not bleeding from the wounds of separation. We have convinced ourselves that we can live with missing body parts with some folks and without others and still be whole, happy, and peaceful. I've been a psychotherapist for over 30 years, and I thought I've done a fair amount of healing myself while facilitating others' healing. And besides, by now, I am a grandmother, an elder in the community. And it has been decades since the traumatic experiences of being a young immigrant and a person of color in mostly white community. But in the training with Ruth King, some pain long forgotten stirred in me. Oh no, dear pain, it's not a convenient time. But it was there, whimpering, and I recognized its invitation. I agreed to listen with care. Then there was a strange relief in turning towards old wound with a caring determination to really attend to it. Fifty-some years ago, I was a young immigrant, uprooted from my culture, my language, my family, my friends. I felt really vulnerable and disoriented. I remember that weird, uncomfortable feeling of helplessly exposing my ignorance, 
and at the same time a desperate and secret longing to be seen and heard. Oh my goodness. To feel that I belong. I get to belong here. But I was made the other. I had no choice about how I looked and how my speech sounded. I felt judged for it by people's glances and by their avoidances. And I couldn't afford to make any blunder to make it worse. And of course, the more anxious I felt, the more I was lost. There was no way I could avoid making mistakes because I just didn't know the ropes. So Ruth coped by raging. I coped by anxiously trying not to expose my ignorance and failing in that over and over. If my therapeutic practice gave me grounding for understanding psychological pain and healing from it, the mindfulness practice supported slowing down to make space between suffering and awareness. That awareness is the true refuge not the false construct of self. So in mindfulness, your awareness is the end and the means. <coughs> kind, loving awareness. From the perspective of, spir- of spiritual perspective, a healing change is not an outcome of something you direct, but it's a fruit a natural ripening of caring attention. Being a therapist gave me a ton of practice in leaning into the experience of people's stories of suffering and transformation. Mindfulness gave me the practice of spaciousness. It is a loving, kind, clear, open space to hold and observe all that happens within and without and beyond the stories. So what got stirred in the training with Ruth King inside of me? In order to belong and function in the predominantly white community, and especially my profession, I had to let go or make invisible the parts of me that belonged to me and made me who I was. In order to belong, I forfeited my childhood songs that comforted me, the smell and taste of things that rooted me to my childhood home. I let go of thinking and writing in my mother tongue. When I began dreaming in English, I stopped seeing the faces of my beloved friends and family I left behind. I remember that first morning when I woke up and I realized I dreamt in English and something big was lost inside of me. When we have privileges, oppression is rather an abstract term. 
But I think all of us can relate to the idea of other and othering. It's something most of us do. I think all of us do, and often unconsciously. Othering is making other what's not comfortable, what's inconvenient, or what's not easy to understand. And it could be a treatment of a person or a group of people as intrinsically different from oneself. When I first arrived here, I had to fill an alien registration card. So I looked up alien. Alien in dictionaries defined as unfamiliar and disturbing or distasteful. I still cringe when people are referred as an alien. Aliens come from the Mars, right? Do I look like a Martian? And so being an alien leads to alienation. Again, the dictionary defines alienation as a state of depersonalization or loss of identity in which the self seems unreal, thought to be caused by difficulties in relating to society and the resulting prolonged inhibition of emotions. It's remarkable that the dictionary so aptly describes my state of being in those early years. Ruth King had lived through the suffering of being the other in, in, in its intersectionality as black queer, healed and transformed it. And now she spreads the good news to transform ourselves and our sangha. Because as John Powell puts it, the opposite of othering is not saming. The opposite of othering is not saming. It is belonging. If we don't work to uproot or transform our own internal process process of othering to oppression, we may end up inadvertently recreating the very structure of violence and domination we wish to dismantle. A central principle of Buddhist ethic is that we practice not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all. So the conditioning that perpetuates racial suffering and separation is to be known and uprooted through our practice and our actions. We each have a part to play in the symphony of racial healing. In the end of her Dharma talks, in, in, in the end of one Dharma talk, Ruth King began the talk this way. She said, I'd like to introduce you to some of my children. And one by one, she recited the name, the place, and the date of death of black men and women, girls and boys. And it was a long list of black people who were killed by police. 
And she concluded the list by naming herself. She said, I am Ruth King. I am their mother. I am an elder of this planet. And in that way, she took her seat. She used her agency to help awaken people that those who were killed are her children. If mindfulness matters, then their death matters to all of us, she showed us. So obviously, her teaching really touched me. And I had a similar experience sitting in retreat with Reverend Angel Curdo Williams. And I'm just going to say Angel because Reverend has uh, R and Bs in it. It's hard for me to pronounce. Maybe I should try. Reverend Angel Curdo Williams. Uh, so I sat in retreat with her at the Closing Water last fall. Uh, and a lot of people didn't know who she is. Who knows Angel Kyoto Williams? <coughs> yeah. So um, she's a Dharma teacher in Zen tradition and one of three black women ordained. She might say black and queer. Um, and she's also an author. Both Ruth King and Reverend Angel understand that racism not only traumatized people of color, it is harmful to all of us. It permeates every fabric of our social structure. It is a reality. So racism and healing from it is also dharma. Ruth King and Angel Kyodo Williams embody this understanding. This was the teaching missing from me all these years in order for me to heal, to fully experience my wholeness and come home to myself. You know the word heal or healing share the same roots as whole, W-H-O-L-E, and holy, H-O-L-Y. Healing is mending together of, of something that was torn apart, separated, divided. Healing is connecting, connecting the dots, connecting to our inherent goodness, connecting to the gift of aliveness, and connecting to love that is boundless. It excludes nothing. As the etymology implies, the healing process is a holy process. In the healing path, as we walk the road in the conditioned world, we touch the holy, the unconditioned. Just a few weeks ago, in mid-July, Common Ground celebrated the 25th anniversary of its founding. 
And I think you're familiar with that, right? Is that, is that a news to anyone? Yeah? So, Joseph Goldstein. Anybody who doesn't know who Joseph Goldstein? Okay. Okay, well, you'll find that in a moment. Um, Joseph Goldstein, who, well, agreed to come to Common Ground to honor this wonderful occasion of the 25th year and to honor Mark and Wynne, who found at Common Ground. And I was traveling in Africa in the spring, and I didn't know the details of the plan. And I came home in late May to find out that Common Ground is co-sponsoring Angel Kyoto Williams' visit to the cities. And it would be exactly the same time as Joseph's talk and reception. Well, that put me in a tizzy. I expected to be in Joseph's presence. Joseph is aging, and he may not come to Minnesota again. Joseph, along with Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, founded the IMS, Insight Meditation Center, in Barrie, Massachusetts. So he brought the Dharma to America. Because of him, the Dharma was available to Mark and Wynne, who in turn founded the Common Ground and has made the Dharma available for us. That's why we're here tonight. So I feel indebted and grateful to Joseph's teaching, to Mark and Wynne. I sincerely wish to pay homage to him and to honor Mark and Wynne. At the same time, Reverend, Reverend Angel's teaching represented the cutting edge of my spiritual practice and my work in the world. I needed support and inspiration for my fledgling understanding of how the Dharma leads to liberation, but especially liberation for the marginalized. Ruth and Angel showed an embodied understanding of this. It's, it's, it's really hard to describe how. And I think they say this. They say they enter the Dharma through the intersectionality of their blackness and queerness. Their presence was the, was the missing link in the teaching I received in the past. And I think this was not just my personal query, but I think it's a concern for the future of Buddhism in America. Angel said, until we truly comprehend multiplicity, we cannot appreciate oneness. So to comprehend multiplicity means until we really understand Each of us has a different story. Each of us has different history, and that it matters. So so we are multiple, and we are different. And when we really understand, without judging, without having to make a hierarchy, then we can really understand the deeper meaning of oneness. 
one without the other lead us to false understanding. And this is also our society's task, to comprehend multiplicity, to comprehend oneness. How can I choose between Joseph, who brought the Dharma to us, to me, and Revelant Angel, who embodies taking of our seat with agency and freedom in this broken world? This should not be a choice because I utterly embrace both. It felt like splitting my body in half and having to choose which side is true me. In the middle of of dealing with how am I going to choose, I don't want to choose, I have to choose. I had a dream or vision, maybe a fantasy. I can't tell which it was anymore in which Joseph would come to the Sunday morning Dharma talk by Angel, a common ground, and at the end, smiling, they embrace each other. And when that would happen, all that were torn apart, othered, and divided would come together and mend. Then we will see how vast the Dharma is, past, present, and future, all encompassed in the present moment, dharma so vast beyond our imagination. The embrace, the touching of hearts, an invitation towards liberation through the luminous door. Well, in the end, I chose to go to the retreat with Angel at Clouds and Water and missed Joseph's talk but I know there would be 600 people who would hear his teaching. And I figured that it would be recorded and I could hear it later. I heard the recording was terrible, though. (laughs) It's hard to hear. I don't know. So while Joseph talked to 600 people, uh, we, several dozens of us, 70% people of color, sat in silence at Clousing Water Zen Center. And by then I was at peace to let go. I think I made a decision because it mattered to me that my body was there practicing in that particular space with Angel and the rest. The Sunday following the retreat, I went to hear Angel's talk at Common Ground. And the Dharma, and who was there? Yeah. So the Dharma Hall was packed, and people overflowed to the community room where they got a set up so they could still listen to her talk. And she gave up, Angel Kyoto Williams gave a powerful talk on choosing liberation. And her talk is available on Audio Dharma on the Common Ground website. I really recommend that you listen to that. And do you know what happened? 
when she finished her Dharma talk? Mark brought Joseph to introduce him to Reverend Angel. He, at some point, I realized he sat, he, Joseph came in and sat where Robert is sitting right now with Wynne. Wynne brought him over. But he came in so quietly that we didn't know as Angel gave Dharma talk. So Mark brought Joseph to introduce him to Angel. Joseph did come to hear her talk, after all. And they embraced warmly, both smiling. And Joseph said, too bad, I have to go to the airport. We have lots to talk about. And Angel nodded. She also had to go to the airport. And I was right there, standing next to them, when this happened. Tears just rolling down my cheek. The Dharma is vast. And what is once torn does come together and heal. It's really true, friends. We do belong to one another. So let's just sit with that just for a minute. So I invite comments, questions, but I really invite um, share if if you have your own healing story that you like to share. I invite you to share a healing story. Um, so um, I can relate because. Yeah. I've had a difficulty with the rigidness of the geometric conundrum that we speak. Do you understand what I mean? Geometric conundrum of? The rigidness of the English language. Oh, like, the, uh, got it. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 got it. Um, I understand. What was, your, what was your country from, or where are you from? Uh, Japan. Okay, so it's got like a nice flow, right? Is that what you, is that what you remember? Like a, a nice the flow? The language? Yeah, it's got a nice flow to it. Or... I don't know. It's yeah, di- there's, there's, a there's a difference. To that there's a difference really because different. your language is older. It's um. So I'm really fascinated with ancient language, um, uh, but there's some really crazy like hidden associations you're talking about, like whole and holy, and you know what I mean. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet. I'm going to like I'm going to 
I'm going to throw these tangents your way, and I want to <laughs> know if there's an association between this is I'm fascinated about stuff. I got to know. I want to know if there's if the if the hidden meanings of the English language also permeate back in history through the old stuff through the old language. Does that make sense? Old lang- old English so, language? Um no, well, I'm talking let's say from like on the timeline from English to like Sanskrit or before. You know what I mean? Like if we can go I'll try and be as clear as possible. Um So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you like a series of little tangents and English words and I want to know if the same associations exist in your home language. And so... Yes, but I don't think I could answer your question. Okay. Yeah. Can I... I'll just, I'll just say them and you don't have to answer, but I just want you to think about it and see if it's true because this stuff fascinates me. Okay, so... It's a... Uh, sun, sun, fire. Right? Like sun, sun, fire. Right? Then we have daughter, water, moon, and the moon pulls the tides of water. So there's like, there's like elemental, and it's and it, it it exists like in in older cultures. Like there's this, um, there's like this elemental difference in uh, like gender and nature and like the sort of does that is there anything like that in Japan? You know, I'm I haven't spoken it for fifty years. So, I don't know. Um, what I invite you to do is stop there for now. But I invite, because you started a poem. You have started to write a poem in what you just said. So, I really invite you to write a poetry about sun and sun and fire and daughter and water. And I think that might reveal a better answer that you might be seeking. Okay? So I think that um, you're... Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I always enjoy hearing you speak whenever I'm here. Um, Thank you for sharing your story about diversity and how you've experienced it. Um, at the moment, I'm in this uh, software engineering program, and like in the tech world, there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion, and like what that means. And um, so much of what I've been learning is about being aware of like implicit biases and how how these biases that we carry with us um, affect the people around us. Hold closer. I'm sorry. Um, how these biases affect the people around us, oftentimes without our ability to be aware. And, you know, oftentimes during these conversations, I feel like we focus very heavily on developing the awareness and the the empathy, but sometimes I feel like there is more that we can do in terms of, like, pragmatic, like, action or behavior. Um, Because I, I, I know for me, like, in my own, the spaces that I'm in, oftentimes I'm, like, the only black guy or the only like minority in general and I can't help but feeling like it's not enough to just be aware there has to be like more that we can do to like actively draw people into into different experiences because 
sometimes I think when people feel like oppressed or like left out, whether it's because of race or gender or whatever it is, they may not even be aware that there is a space for them and that they're wanted. You know what I mean? So like, I guess, I guess for just from my own vantage point, I would hope that in different situations, people actively work to help me feel more engaged mm-hmm. because oftentimes I just don't, I don't know if, if there's a space for me. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. And is there a particular way you would like that to happen? Well, I don't know if I have an answer for that, but I guess I just have the feeling that no one really talks about that. So there, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of brainstorming about how to, how to do this. Like, like what, do we, what do we say to one another when we want to give advice other than to just develop empathy? Because that, for me, just feels very like abstract, I guess. So you you said you kind of stated what you would like to to feel more engaged, um, and you are saying in, in in the process of engagement, there's a kind of sense of caring or interest. Right, right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to make sure I'm speaking clearly. I guess what I'm trying to say is that my experience is that people are very interested in diversity and in healing, but sometimes when it comes to translating that into like as an abstract effective Mm -hmm. action, Mm -hmm. we can be sort of lost for what exactly to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think Leah over there has something to say about it. We've just been speaking about it lately. I'm not on the board, but how Common Ground has been really active in making this um, place represent everyone. So, for instance, if you were to register for a program, um, there's, I'm going to let Robert speak to it because he'll do a better job. You're doing a great job, trust me. And and it relates to, uh, what's your name? Jiki. It relates to... One, maybe... Yeah, because I'm reading... One movement, one action, action, one action. Part of of the uh, commitment of Common Ground, I've been coming here about eight years now, and part of, in the last three years, Marcus and Wynn and the other people on the board, which is composed of people of color, so it's not, it's a diverse population on the board, uh, are making a, a concerted effort to be more inviting, I'll use that word, for gender um, differences, race differences, um, any of the other isms that go around. And um, so it, it's a very sincere effort. And I don't know if I'm speaking to your question or anyone else's, but. Uh, it's a very, very sincere effort. The fact that you attended the uh, workshop with um, Ruth King, missing um, hearing just ghosting. Angel. I attended Angel. Angel, I'm sorry, yes, yeah. with Angel. And you it was a retreat. But it, it's available to you, right. And um, I guess, did you want to add to that? Correct. Uh, 
what she's saying is that when you register for a program, especially for a retreat, the questions now include what your gender preference, also what your race is, and there is a kind of... um, that carries weight. In other words, the fact that you may be um, a gender that um, most people don't understand or know, forgive me, I'm like in that category, but um, it's to be inclusive, all people. And so the preference is now being given in some ways to people of color, people who identify their genders and so forth. And... um, it doesn't exclude, this is a hot issue, because, you know, it doesn't exclude people who would otherwise be able to come. I don't believe it does. It just provides a step up for people who would otherwise be marginalized and not able to attend. Does that address your concern? Hopefully it's good. Um, What I kind of got from your question is something that came up in uh, Reverend Angel Kyoto's talk is I think in this practice of it coming to the West um, in a predominantly uh, materialized, racialized setting uh, where we have been conditioned to separate and divide ourselves, like you talked about, to not be whole. And all these pieces is race, is gender. You can't exist whole, holy or holistically in most of the the spaces that you navigate. Um, And for people who do have more privileges to exist wholly, when when you do get confronted with the issue of race or just your own discomfort, the immediate reaction is to disconnect, to say something abstract. And I can actually say when we did our original training here, um, about race. I forgot through what organization. One of the first workshops they had, they put up an equation to explain race. Because honestly, I, to me, it doesn't take that much. But I get the, the population or the audience that it was trying to go to predominantly white. Common grounds predominantly white. To try to explain the basis of race, we can't feel like we can't start with the heart. You got to start up here. And I think Angel Kyoto's charge to people in the West, especially predominantly privileged folks and white folks, is to get from the head into the heart. And you can't step into any action without doing the necessary healing, because then you're going to bring all that abstract disconnect baggage into these encounters where you're trying to build a connection and a bridge with people that have historically been excluded from your communities. And it's not going to turn out well. You're going to create more suffering for yourself and this other person. So I think she was encouraging kind of talking to or, or looping back to your talk is you have to do the healing here. Don't seek to external surroundings or your black friend or, or your, your queer friend for your own shit, essentially. Take care of your shit. Because then you bring that shit to other people. And people already got their shit to deal with essentially. So I think for me, that's what I got from your talking from your, what you brought up. We, we can't exist here. And, and, and we do that so often, even in this space, because that makes the practice comfortable. A lot of people don't come to common ground to be uncomfortable, to have that awareness of the worldly chaos and oppression that's happening, but to come here as a retreat from that. 
and it's how to hold both. As a white person, you can hold both as your pers- as your history and the history of others. As a queer person, you can hold your history and that of others who've been othered. You can do both and you need to do both. That's what Angel means yes. by multiplicity and oneness. Yeah. And, and, and in a kind of a white middle class oneness, we want to be the same and noticing the difference because it's part of the conditioning of the West is the moment the difference is noticed, it gets hierarchized. It just happens. So, so difference, noticing the difference is, is, is kind of a threatening. It's scary. And so that's one of the many unconditioning that we have to, we have to do. And, and it, that is really a profound mindfulness practice to be able to notice the difference. That's the Dharma. This is the way it is. And if you have reaction, that, that is your SHIT. <laughs> Do I get to say that? Oh, uh, Angel did. <laughs> yes. And, 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 you know, but the Ruth made the point that the heart sickness, my heart sickness, and the world sickness also are connected. So, so we don't take on, you know, the heart sickness of the world as it's all mine or my fault. So this is, so back to, you know, multiplicity and oneness. This also is a work we all, each of us have to do. The inner work and joint work. And I think in that process, engagement could happen. And to kind of take Robin's uh, point that you are wishing for more engagement. And when it's, you're noticing that it's not happening, you feel some pain. And you don't ignore that. You don't minimize it. You meet it with respect and understanding and listen to that discomfort. And that actually might uh, lead you or show you a small thing that you can do or say or request that you, you might want to make. It's, but it's coming from the heart. You know, it's coming from you really receiving the discomfort of not feeling the engagement. Okay. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.